So let me ask you a question this morning. How do you know when you are on the right track? Whether it's your job, whether it's life, whether it's parenting, whether it's driving somewhere on a trip that's somewhere new, how do you know when you're on the right track? You know, some people are like, well, you just know, right? You just know. Things are going the right way. And no, there, there, there are signs that we look for. There are certain things that we, we look at to say, okay, are things working out? Because if we're, if we're chasing the wrong goal, you know, if we're driving somewhere and we take the wrong turn and we don't know we took the wrong turn, that could, that could get ugly after a while, right? You know, how many of you have driven for more than an hour in the wrong direction? Had to... Find your way back. Yeah, I've done that. Because you didn't know where you were and you didn't know what you were looking for and you didn't know, you know, really what it was going to look like to succeed in that endeavor. I mean, I, I think, you know, as football season's starting, you know, what is the obvious goal of the game? To score more points than the other team. That's it. At the end of the thing, it, it, you know, we, could, we can keep all kinds of stats though, right? And, and you know, sometimes... People do that, you know, when their team loses. They're like, oh, but we controlled the ball, and we did this, and we did this better, and we here's all the reasons why we're better. And yet the final score <laughs> said otherwise. You see, if the goal was to, you know, have, you know, who controlled the ball longer, maybe they would have won. But the score was the final indicator. Well, John, in chapter 4, is really giving us the signs that we need to look for to know that things are on the right track spiritually. He's given us confessions. He's given us actions and talking about us loving one another. And in this week, he continues that as we're going to look at love, fear, and judgment. As he gives us the signs, as he gives us the truths that we need to be able to say, this is of God and this is not. To be able to discern in our lives, whether we're on the right track, whether what we are listening to is the the right thing to be listening to, whether our lives are truly in Christ or if we're following something else. And so look with me in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. And he says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. 
And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So, one of the things that John wants us to to really grab hold of in in this entire letter, but really chapter 4 specifically, is that he wants us to know the foundation of our faith. You know, how many of you know, you know, the great NFL coach, Vince Lombardi, how he started every training camp? Anyone know? He used to take a football, hold it up to his team, and say, this is a football. And he would go through the rules of the game, the basics. He would explain the entire, you know, you have four downs before you have to turn the ball over. He he would just explain, beginning every training camp. Now, this is after they've won Super Bowls. And he would start every training camp with, this is a football. And he would start with the basics. Why? Because if we don't know the foundation, we cannot expect to thrive in the advanced parts of whatever it is that we're doing. Because the foundation never changes. And so, he tells us in in verses 13 through 16, let's listen to it again, Not, not the whole thing, but 13 through 16. He says, by this we know that we abide in him. So he's saying there are things that we can know that are objective, that these are truthful. And he says, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. What we have here is the rest of the confession that he started in the first part of chapter 4. Now, before he said, what was the confession? He says, whoever does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not from God. Now he goes to the other side of it and he says, we confess or whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God abides in him and he in God. And what he has given us is the the complete confession of the Christian faith in chapter 4, 1, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, God is love, and Jesus Christ is the Son of God. God has given us of his spirit, and we have confidence for the day of judgment. That is the Christian life. That is what everything that we do flows from those truths right there. Okay, think on the significance of what John has shown us. He has shown us the person and work of Jesus Christ. The person and work. The person, he came in the flesh, he was fully human, but he's also the son of God, he's fully divine. This is one of the, this is one of the great truths of Christianity that we all have to wrestle with, we have to, to think through, we'll never completely understand it because we have a, a finite, limited mind trying to understand the infinite, and yet it's something we have to wrestle with anyway. And that is that Jesus was both fully man and fully God at the same time. At the same time. So when he came and he said the kingdom of God is at hand, what he's literally saying is the kingdom of God standing right in front of you, talking to you. I'm here. 
it was prophesied that he would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And John has already multiple times talked about that love was manifested before us, that Jesus came to be the savior of the world. And so the manifestation, the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ is central to it. And that's what he has given us. Both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus must be present within our confession for us to understand who Jesus is properly. You see, it's interesting as there are people that will confess that Jesus, you, you want to talk about that he was a wise man, that he was the example that we should follow, you won't get any argument. You want to talk about that he's a prophet of God and you won't get any argument. But when you want start talking about that he is God himself in the flesh, that's when you're going to find out whether they are part of the body of Christ or not. Because every other religion in the world, everyone will say, oh yeah, Jesus was a wise man. Jesus is an, exam- an example to be followed. Oh yeah, we believe in Jesus. Do you believe that he was God in the flesh? Well, no. Then you don't believe in Jesus. Jesus Christ is the center point of everything that we do. And so we abide in God and he in us based entirely on faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the human divine mission to save us from the judgment of our sins. What did John say? He said, we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. So we are confessing again, not only the nature of God, That God is love, not only who Jesus is and confessing Jesus Christ is both the son of God and had he's come in the flesh, but we are confessing the kingdom of God and the message and mission of God at the same time. All of this works together. And so part of the confession then is not only what Jesus has done, not only the nature of God, but what he has done within us, and that is to send his spirit to us. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within you, that is what separates us from everything else. It's nothing within us. It's not how good we are. It's not what we've accomplished. It is the fact that God has shared his spirit with us and that we ourselves have become temples of the Holy Spirit. And so within that confession, we find out that the truth of God, the love of God, and the life of God all exist independently in us, independently of us, but are made available by God through Jesus. We don't know what love is except for the fact that we know Jesus Christ. We don't know life except through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We cannot know the truth of God except through Jesus Christ. And so within this confession, there's something interesting. And that is we have the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit all right there. See, John is Trinitarian, and the Trinity is a part of our faith that, again, we will never fully understand. Every human analogy breaks down, and yet it is the truth in Scripture that there is the Father, there is the Son, there is the Holy Spirit, three persons of the Godhead, and yet one God, all three in one. And it is a truth that we have to wrestle with. And yet we see God's fingerprints of Trinitarian uh, existence exist throughout our universe. 
What is our universe other than space, time, and matter? Three in one. You cannot remove one and still have a universe. What are you but body, soul, and spirit? Three in one. Each distinct from the other and yet comprising one person. You see, we have not only the Trinity present, but we see the will of the Father is to what? It says the Father has sent the Son to be Savior of the world. The will of the Father is to save. The will of the mission of the Son is what? To save. The Son came to be Savior of the world. He came to give His life on the cross. So the mission of the, the Son is to save. And the work of the Spirit within us is to what? To save. He is the deposit guaranteeing the inheritance He is the counselor. He is that which brings us new life and connects us to God. And so we see the will of the Father, the mission of the Son, and the work of the Spirit are again three in one that all work together. This is the confession, the foundation of everything in our faith. And when I say everything, I mean everything. There is nothing in our faith Nothing that we can pursue in God that does not draw from this foundation. It is either the will of the Father, the mission of the Son, or the work of the Spirit. But they all work together because all of it was to save us. And to establish the kingdom of God for all eternity. And so the foundation of our faith is the nature, character, and mission of God. And the more we understand the foundation the more we are able to build on that foundation. Because if we're building on something that is not the correct foundation, what is going to happen to it? It will be destroyed. But we can build on the foundation, and this is one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture, it will stand for all eternity. All eternity. Now, it'll glorify God. It's not going to be about us. We're not going to have our monument in heaven saying, oh, look what I built. We're going to be able to say, look, we built on the foundation of the gospel and Jesus Christ is glorified and the work of the Spirit is on display and the will of the Father has been brought to pass because it helps save people for eternity. It brought them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and it will stand for all eternity. See, that's why I love you. I've probably heard me say it before, but, you know, people always talk about, you know, well, you can't take it with you. And I say, I like to say I found the loophole in that. Because the people you lead to Christ, you can take with you. You see, there are things that God says, no, no, I want you to build for eternity, and I do want you to take it with you. See, what we've got to clarify is that we can't take the things of this world with us, but we can build the things of the kingdom in this world that will go with us. They will go ahead of us and they will be there and they will follow us after we are gone. That is the foundation that we all need to understand and build upon in our lives as best we can. And so in order to do that, What we need to understand is that it requires a life that is defined by boldness, faithfulness, and obedience. 
not a life driven and, and hindered by fear. Because we will have to make decisions in this world as to what we're going to fear. Fear God, fear man. Fear things of this world or fear eternal things. You see, Jesus told us, he says, do not fear man who can only kill the body but nothing else. Fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. He says, there is a healthy fear of God that we all need to have. And when I say fear of God, I mean a real fear of God. Like, I don't want to make God angry. You know, God is patient and he is kind, he is loving, his forgiveness and his grace is, is beyond measure. But you know, as you read scripture, you find out God's patience does in fact have limits. I don't want to test that, do you? I don't want to find out those limits because it, it works out very, very poorly for people every time they test that. It goes really bad. And, and so what John then gets into is that we should be able, when we know the foundation, when our confession is in Jesus Christ, fear should not be a part of our lives. It shouldn't. Love drives out fear. Okay, perfect love drives out fear, I should say, because that's what John tells us. Perfect love drives out fear. Now listen again in verses 17 and 18. He says, by this is love perfected with us. Now, Let's pause. I want to explain perfected. <clears throat> in the Jewish mindset, the idea of perfected right there is not what we think of as perfection as being without any you know, struggle or problem or, or just absolute perfection in every way. We're not ever going to be perfect in this lifetime. What he means by perfected is the idea in the Jewish mindset is something is perfected when it is accomplishing the task for which it was intended to accomplish. It's working. Okay, it's accomplishing the end that it should accomplish. And so he says, we know that God's love in us is being perfected. It's working and doing exactly what it's supposed to do when, he says, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, this is important. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. When we understand God's love, and we experience God's love, John tells us something amazing. He says it casts out fear. God's love and fear cannot coexist. Not the paralyzing, I live my life in fear, I'm anxious all the time. This is why Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow is enough, just live today, be faithful today. He says, don't worry, because that worry is, is saying, I don't trust God. I don't believe that God can handle what's happening. I'm afraid of what's coming in life. And John tells us here, he says, perfect love casts out that fear. Now, again, we're not talking arrogance and we're not talking foolishness where we go through life without wisdom and say, oh, God's going to take care of all of it. I can be bold and brave and just do whatever. And that's not what we're talking about. But it is talking about a confidence in life and in death that should mark our lives as unique because we are children of God. 
a confidence that should drive us through this world where we don't back down from the truth, where we aren't afraid to love other people, where we aren't afraid to confess Jesus Christ as our Savior, where we aren't afraid to share the gospel with people who will listen to it, where we aren't ashamed of who we are in Christ. He says, when we experience that love, it casts out that fear. And he says it goes to such a point that he says, when his love is perfected in us, it says, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Don't you find it interesting that that's where he goes immediately? His love is perfected in us, so we don't have to worry about the day of judgment. You know why John goes there? Because in the Jewish mindset, and should be in the biblical mindset, okay, I'll just say that here. This, has, this isn't just a Jewish thing. This should be a biblical mindset thing. The absolute worst day for all of humanity is going to be judgment day. When we think of the worst thing that could ever possibly happen, if we have a biblical understanding of the world, it should be like, oh, yeah, the day of the Lord. That's, that's going to be a bad one. That's going to be the worst. And what does he say? He says, we'll have confidence on that day. Confidence. The day in which everything is laid waste. In fact, let's just, let's read it really fast. Okay? Here's what's going to happen at that time. Okay? In Revelation 6, 12 through 13, 17, it says, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. That sounds horrifying. You just want to go out and see the sky just peel back? Verse 15, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Now, you know what? It's the lost who are saying, who can stand? This is too much. And you know what Christians going to be doing? Praise God. Here it is. And I, I mean that. We're not going to be the ones that are freaked out and are like, oh my, what is going on right now? We're going to be like, this is it. This is it. The kingdom is here. It's time to go home. This is over. This is everything we have wanted, everything we have sung about, everything Jesus died for. It's all happening now. That's what the love of God will do inside of us. Now, if we are going to be able to have confidence on that day shouldn't we have confidence in this day you see it's all a matter of perspective and what it is that we're looking for and john goes straight to it because ultimately the fear of god has to do with judgment the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom isn't that what scripture teaches us when I realize 
that the day of the Lord, that judgment is going to happen, and it drives me to my knees, and I say, woe is me, God, I am a sinner, I am ruined, and we learn that we have to repent, and then we find out Jesus died for us, and we're born again, and we say, wow, my sins are forgiven. That fear of the Lord changes everything. And we know that the day of judgment is coming, and yet we know we are forgiven in that moment. And so the end of wisdom, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The end of wisdom is to believe in the work and the person of Jesus Christ. That's where it should lead us, is to faith in him and to the love that God has shown us through the cross, knowing our sins are forgiven and judgment will not harm us. And, you know, Revelation tells us that. It tells us that, that the, the judgment, the great white throne judgment and, and the, the fiery pit, it says these are the second death. See, it's appointed once for all to die and then to face judgment. And Revelation chapter 20 tells us that the, the judgment and the pit of hell are the second death. And it says in those whose names are written in the book of life, the second death has no power over them. No power. And so that's why it says perfect love casts out fear. What do we have to be afraid of? And the reason I say this is because so many Christians today are racked with anxiety. It's just a thing in our world right now. Anxiety is off the chart. And it shouldn't be for the Christian. Now, for the, un, for the unsaved, I get it. I'd be an anxious mess too if I didn't know that Jesus Christ was ultimately in control of this and coming again. I, I'd, if I didn't know how this was going to play out, I'd be freaking out at the world right now. But for a Christian, it says perfect love casts out fear, which means if you are a Christian that is just racked with anxiety all the time, and I say all the time because everybody's going to have moments. We're going to have moments, but then God's going to draw us back in. But if we're constantly racked and paralyzed by anxiety and fear, then that means we are not perfected in love. We're not focused on God's love and what he has done for us. We're looking to something else to bring us peace. And guess what? It's not bringing you peace. Whatever it is you're looking to, maybe it's looking for an outcome. Maybe it's, it's a self-improvement gospel. That if I'm just good enough, God will bless me. Guess what? You're never going to be good enough. And you'll be anxious about it for the rest of your life. But when we learn to rest in what Jesus has already done for us, when our life is built on the foundation that we've already talked about, perfect love casts out fear. And so I want to ask you this question, okay? There's a lot of consternation in our world right now, politics and everything that's going on and whatever. And a lot of people are anxious about it. They're worried. What's going to happen? What if this happens? What if, what if, what if, what if? So we're going to push this all the way out to the end. Does the collapse of reality as we know it, as described in Revelation, cause you anxiety? Or does it bring you hope that, yeah, God's in control? That one day... Evil will be dealt with permanently, and the good will win. 
if that's our focus, then we should be able to put into perspective everything that's going on now. And we can accept, yes, the prince of the power of the air, there's evil in this world. It's there. You see, the, John's readers were also thrown off center because of false teachers in their midst. And they believed a false gospel for a time and followed it. And it caused division and it caused anxiety and it caused them to forget to love each other. And, and it caused all kinds of trouble. But as they separated themselves from that false teaching and returned to the gospel, their peace returned. And John is reminding them now, hey, don't, don't do that again. Just stay on the foundation. Confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Confess that he came in the flesh. Confess that he's the Son of God. Confess the good confession of the faith and stay there and don't let anybody take you away from it. Because the Christian life is... And always will be a source of peace, life, hope, and joy. But only when we build on the foundation. If we aren't building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, it will take those very things from us. We will lose hope. We will not have peace. We'll have anxiety. We will not have joy. We'll have frustration. When we put our hope in anything other than than the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will take the very thing that we are looking for. And so for many, anxiety, depression, burnout are the result of their religious practices because they have misapplied the truth of what Christ has done. So let's look carefully at what John says. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. See, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. So if I'm racked with anxiety, it's because I'm afraid of the results that are coming. Or the results that I can't control. Or the results that I don't know. That, you know, the unknown or whatever it is, I'm afraid of those things. And punishment means it's going to hurt. I'm afraid of the pain that could be involved and the loss that could be involved with the future. And I don't know what to do with it. And so I just internalize it and, and I get all anxious and now my peace is gone and I'm, I'm worried when, what does he say? He says, perfect love casts out fear. I don't have to worry about the future because Jesus Christ died for me and he's coming back. And one day, everything's going to be set straight. So even if it's not set straight tomorrow or the next day or even next year or even in my lifetime, I know eventually it's going to be so I can take hope and find peace in that. And so my life does not have to work out a certain way for me to have faith in Jesus because Jesus' life worked out the way it did, I can have peace. And the more I believe that, the more it removes fear from my life. The more it, it and I love that, it says it casts out fear. It's not like you just learn not, you know, just gradually, oh, no, I'm, you know, okay, I guess I won't be afraid. It says it casts it out almost like it's demonic out of your life. And it is peace, literally, in the midst of the storm. Jesus said, my peace, I leave you. And then he prayed, I pray, Father, you don't take them out of the world, but that you give them peace within it. 
we should, as we build on the foundation, know that, look, are we going to be punished? Well, if, if we're an act of sin, then yeah, if you're not comfortable, then that means God's convicting you, and that's a good thing. Repent, turn away from it, you'll be fine. But if you're just anxious about life in general, the punishment was poured out on Jesus. God isn't going to punish people anymore because of it. If you are a Christian, then all, listen to this, if you are a Christian, then all of God's wrath, anger, and punishment was poured out on Jesus. He has none left for you. None. All he has is grace and love and discipline. Now, Hebrews tells us, don't despise the Lord's discipline. He's treating you as children. So there may be times where, like, God's mad at me. And he's like, I'm not mad. Parents, you understand this. I'm not mad at you, but I do need to teach you something. And if I need to make it hurt a little, I will. There is a difference between God's discipline and his anger and wrath. There is no wrath left for those who are in Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so that means I can take confidence in everything that God does in my life, knowing that he is there and it's for his good. It's for his kingdom. It will ultimately be for my good. It will ultimately serve the kingdom. And all I have to do is trust and believe him. And so I want to ask you, if your life is racked with anxiety or hopelessness or just complete frustration, Ask yourself where you are placing your faith and your hope. Because we can say, well, no, my faith is in Jesus. But is your hope in a certain result, in a certain thing working out in this life right now? Well, I'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know heaven's coming, but I really need this right now to work out. Don't, yeah, yeah, heaven. (laughs) Okay, don't do that. You know what you're doing right there? You're taking your hope and saying, yeah, that's not a big deal. This is a big deal. And you need to do it the other way. Yeah, yeah, I know that this is up in the air right now, and, you know, I'd like to know a bit more. But you know what? Jesus died for me, and that's all I need. That is enough. And we have to tell ourselves that over and over and over, that Jesus' death is enough. You see, there's a mantra in the world right now that people keep saying, I'm enough, I'm enough. No, you're not enough. Jesus is enough. And repeat that to yourself. Jesus is enough. Look to him and you will find that your fear and your frustrations will start to lessen. I'm not saying life's going to work out in every way. I'm saying your fear and frustration with it will lessen. You'll find yourself at peace knowing, you know what? Even if it goes this direction, I'll be okay. God's going to provide. Who in here could testify to that? That you've had those moments where you're just racked with anxiety and finally you're like, okay, God, God, that's enough. Okay, I hear you. You know what? I'm giving it to you. And you find that peace with whether it works out this way or this way. It doesn't matter now. God, I trust you in it. And you find that release. And like that weight goes off your shoulders. And then as life goes on, you look back and you're like, I'm not sure why I was so worried. Because God did what he has always done. He took care of me. And while things didn't work out like I thought or planned, you know what? They still worked out. And I'm okay. And I can move forward. And I'm still serving God. And God is still there. And You see, we can 
find that peace. And how we improve on our ability to do that is we work on the visible. Because what is it that we worry about? The invisible, right? That which we can't see. That which is coming, which could be, which may be, which might be, that might, could, possibly, maybe. And we just work ourselves up over it. Listen to what John says. He has the cure for that because we have a foundation that is perfect. Literally perfect. The love, grace, and forgiveness of God are perfect in every way. And so when we build on that foundation in tangible, observable ways, it leads to God's peace in our lives. And so listen to what John says in verse 19. He says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now he starts out, we love because he first loved us. That is such an important statement. You know why? Because he's saying that because of God's work in us, we now have the capacity and ability to do that which he's telling us to do. God will never call you to do something that he has not already equipped you to do. Now you say, no, wait, wait, what about faith? God calls people to do stuff all the time. No, he calls people to be present in faith, which is something they can do. He's equipped them to do, and then he shows up and does his part of it. And the example I will give you Take any Old Testament person and hero that we talk about, Daniel in the lion's den. What did God call Daniel to do? To be faithful? Hey, this edict passed said you can't pray to anyone but the king. What did Daniel do? He said, well, I'm going to pray to God anyway. What did he do? He prayed to God. God had prepared him for that. He had set his heart in that place, and he showed up, did the visible thing that he could do that was following, that was obedient, that was faithful, then he gets thrown in the lion's den. Guess what? That's where God shows up. God did not tell Daniel, hey, go down there and make the lions not eat you. He didn't tell him that. Because if he did, Daniel would have been like, are you kidding, God? I can't do that. No, he called him to pray. Guess what? He can do that. And then God showed up. Elijah facing the priest of Baal. 400 to 1. What did he tell Elijah to do? He said, show up, challenge them. And then what? He says, build an altar, put water on it, sacrifice a bull, call on me, and I will send fire from heaven. Did he say, Elijah, send fire from heaven? No. He said, you build an altar, you show up, you issue the challenge, you sacrifice the bull. You do the things that I've called you to do, and I will show up and take care of the supernatural. That's exactly what John, in his amazing way, is what he is saying right here. We love because he first loved us. He has given us the capacity through his spirit. That's where he started with this. We know that we abide in because of the spirit he's given us. We have the capacity. God, Jesus Christ, changes a man's capacity to love. He gives him the capacity. He gives him the ability. He gives him to the desire. And so we love because he first loved us. 
And then he, he, he tells us, the natural result of the love of God in our lives is that we love other people, especially the brothers and sisters in Christ, especially the body of Christ. And that's why he says, you can't say you love God and hate your brother. You just can't. He says, you're a liar. You're lying about loving God. Because John is like, I know God, and I know I walked with Jesus. And I'm telling you, the more I got to know Jesus, the more I loved Peter. You know, Peter really annoyed me at first. But the more I got to know Jesus, the more Peter was like my brother. And it just happened. And he's saying, I know this. I've experienced it. And you cannot tell me that you love God and then hate the people of God. You just can't do it. You're a liar. And you see, he's telling them there are the things that are visible, that God says, just step into that. Do the things that God has told you to do, trusting he's going to show up and the invisible will move. Instead of fearing the invisible and ignoring the visible, do the things of God that are visible and the invisible will move. The invisible will work out. This is why James in 2.26 could say, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. What do you think those works are? They're the natural result of faith. They're the natural result of if I've experienced the love of God, then I'm going to love. I can't help it. It is what God does inside of us. And so it says we love because he first loved us. And he says whoever loves God must also love his brother. There's just no question there. And so don't think of this as a stepladder type of faith where, okay, I've got to learn to love people, and as I love people, I'll get closer to God. No, he's saying it's the other way around. The closer you are to God, the more you're going to love people. And you cannot separate them. And for some reason in our mind, we want to do that. We think that somehow love of neighbor is like this advanced spirituality. When he's like, that's the basic... That is the basic. If you're going to love God, he's going to lead you to love your neighbor. That's it. There there is no separating those two. And and so that's why he says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The proof of what God has done within us will show itself outside of us in what we do. And so he says, if you're not loving the people outside of you, then you can't say you have a love of God inside of you. Because that's the first thing he's going to do. And so our life literally should be one of love and one absent of fear and one that looks forward to the day of judgment. As crazy as that sounds, we should be looking forward to that day. Yeah, come Lord Jesus, let's let's do this. Because I have confidence for the day of judgment because I know what Jesus has done for me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. And God, I just thank you for every person in here. And Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, show us where we are building something off of the foundation that you have provided. God, we all do it in certain ways. And Lord, I pray that you just reveal it to us, God, so that we would not waste our efforts that we would not put our hope in something that will only return hopelessness. 
God, teach us how to build on the foundation. And Lord, make us those people that are bold with your love, that we would share your love and your grace with others. That we would be happy to love other people the way you have loved us. God, that we would see those signposts of success in our lives and know that we are going the right way because we are loving others. Because we are sharing your grace and the good news of the gospel with those around us. God, that we wouldn't be consumed by things of this world. God, I pray where there may be bitterness or anger or anxiety, God, show us the root causes of those so that we can repent and experience the love, joy, and peace that you have for us. That we could lead others into that same love, joy, and peace. God, that we would we'd go through the process to become disciple makers in this world. We would lead others to know you. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen.